Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to pioneer targeted lung cancer treatments and advance knowledge of diagnostic testing. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about nutrition for cancer patients with Heidi Larson and Amy Braganini. Both Heidi and Amy are registered dietitians at Smilo Cancer Hospital, and Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology and director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo. So could you tell either of you sort of what is the role of a nutritionist in cancer care? Okay, I'll go ahead and take this one first. Um, I think a, a dietitian role in cancer care is really just to help the patient optimize their nutrition, the patient and caregiver optimize their nutrition before, during, and after treatment, um, to come up with ways to creatively eat in a way that can keep their energy levels up, to, that can help boost their immune system, um, and just promote healing uh, and well-being throughout the journey. So do, do cancer patients really have to undergo major dietary changes for the most part? They often do, Dr. Gore. And, you know, um, it depends on the circumstances, but frequently a patient might need to temporarily follow a special diet following surgery or if they're getting radiation, depending on the location of the radiation, they might need to adjust their diet, um, such as lowering uh, the fiber content, or they might uh, be limited in what they can swallow, so they might need to change the consistency of their diet as well. I, I can imagine for people with uh, head and neck cancer or throat cancer or esophageal cancer, uh, there could be major problems there post-op, I would think. Yeah, they face huge challenges with swallowing. Mm -hmm. So uh, part of our role is to help them find foods that they can uh, swallow p properly, get enough calories and protein, and find some enjoyment in the food that they're eating. I know some patients in those circumstances actually do need feeding tubes for a while sometimes, right? That's true. Uh, sometimes, um, often after surgery, patients will uh, see a speech pathologist and uh, either get the go-ahead to start eating and swallowing, but sometimes they'll need a tube, a feeding tube, placed, and um, they won't be able to eat for a period of time. Mm. So especially around the holidays, that can present a lot of uh, challenges. Um, and often lead um, to feelings of depression Yeah, because you're not involved um, in the social interactions that you're used to. All right. Do, do nutritionists, uh, of course, I assume get involved with, with helping with the diets if they're being you know, fed through a tube? I mean, that's, that's your ballywick, isn't it? Yes. We often um, prescribe the formula, make recommendations to maintain hydration, um, and often the formula is pre-made for people, mm -hmm. but sometimes we'll even work with patients to create their own formula okay. uh, that they can make at home and administer themselves. Is that a cost saver or just a better 
often people want to do it because they want to feel that life is more normal. They're cooking, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And, and then do you continue to see the patient through their treatment? Uh, yeah, often we'll see them th- through their treatment and in certain circumstances, follow up with them for many weeks or months after as well. Mm. You know, it's interesting, uh, as you shared about that, I, I recently cared for an uh, elderly man with a new diagnosis of lymphoma that was arising in his uh, thyroid gland and was precluding him from being able to swallow. And while he wasn't really sure that he wanted to do a lot of treatment, his real goal, even if he was going to have a very limited lifetime, was to be able to eat again. And so he wanted to start treatment because all he wanted to do was eat. He wanted to be able to eat, and then if he died in a month, that would be worth it for him. It was I was very impressed with that. Really, you don't hear I don't hear that a lot from people. Maybe maybe you guys do. You know, I was just telling Heidi I have a patient right now, same exact thing. Um, he he derives so much pleasure and so much um, joy out of eating, and that's definitely part of his motivating factor to continue with treatment and to try to be as compliant as possible throughout um, the devastating effects of the head and neck cancer treatment. Um, to try to be diligent by following the diet dietitian's recommendations and uh, taking in the amount of calories and the grams of protein that he needs to heal, even though um, the side effects are are really challenging and debilitating. Hmm. Well, let's move away from kind of what, what I think sounds like one of the more extreme scenarios in the head and neck cancers, which is kind of its own world, uh, and talk about sort of more conventional, uh, less obstructive kind of problems, whether it's people with breast cancer, lung cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, who are just getting chemotherapy or radiation, uh, do they face challenges with eating as well? Yes. Well, not all of them, but oftentimes, uh, depending on the type of treatment that they're getting, some some side effects can occur, and that's kind of where the dietitian can come in and help um, help the patient and the caregiver manage some of the side effects. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of the most common side effects I hear is low appetite. Patients just saying that they're not very hungry or they might get fuller faster. So then we help them come up with creative ideas to um, increase, say, healthy smoothie intake or ways to still get enough fruits and vegetables, um, but sneaking them into maybe higher calorie dishes um, just so they can maintain their weight through treatment. Another really tough side effect is um, taste changes during Uh, treatment. That's what I hear a lot about. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So some of the taste changes that people experience, uh, I hear often, number one would be Things taste like cardboard. Or metal, I hear. Metal. Metal's another one. Um, Things are too sweet. Things are too salty. Nothing Uh, tastes good. mm -hmm. Nothing tastes good. So, you know, using um, tools that actually uh, a registered dietitian, Rebecca Katz, is a a chef, and she's produced several cookbooks that um, come up with creative ways to help manage each of the taste changes. And she uses something called um, FAS. Do you want to... Tell, say a little bit more about that, Heidi. So uh, FAST is a method of cooking that, um, and it's an acronym for fat, acid, sweet, and salt. Okay. So if you use that combination in cooking, um, often you find you can find a pr- flavor profile that you enjoy. So, for example, um, I'm always sending people out for Thai food or Chinese food. Sure. Because <laughs> the those that type of cooking um, produ- uses those four components. Um, 
another thing. Uh, if something is tasting uh, too metallic to somebody, yeah. we tell them to use a sweetener like maple syrup in huh. something or um, to use uh, a little bit of salt. How does that help? So, uh, you know, it, it covers up the metallic oh, taste. Um, if something, if somebody is finding that things are too salty, sometimes it can mean that they're dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So actually improving your hydration can help um, improve, you know, sensitivity to salt. Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody is sensitive to sweet, we'll a often have them add something bitter. Huh. So if somebody's having a milkshake and it's uh, a little too sweet for them, adding a shot of an espresso can make it taste better. Okay, I was going to say vinegar or kombucha. Yes, <laughs> but that as well. Kombucha is probably not appropriate for some of our patients because it has bacteria and stuff mm -hmm. in it. But, but or even sometimes buttermilk. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, yeah. please. Just um, I, I was going to go on how I raise kombucha oh. at home, and I'm kind of into <laughs> well, I was it, so, interested. Yeah. We yeah, can yeah, talk yeah. about that <laughs> offline, right? But certainly, I've got recipes. <laughs> but certainly, like Heidi was saying, I think that um, you know, buttermilk, huh? Yep, buttermilk. It's my wife's favorite. Okay, avocado. I mean, there's, there's, you know, you just kind of get creative with, with where the patient is, and then coming up with ideas for things that might, might actually um, tickle their fancy. You know, it's, it's so interesting, and um, I'm wondering, uh, just from a scientific point of view, uh, we've been taught, and I think it's still believed that so much of taste is really smell, comes through smell. But uh, do you know whether the treatment is affecting patients' smell as well? Or, I mean, is there any way to like get them to inhale the, the flavor? Or? Do you work with that at all, or am I, I, am I off base totally? I think one of the issues that happens with smell is really a smell sensitivity. So people um, who, who have a tendency to have nausea yeah. tend to be very sensitive to smells. Um, and often we'll provide advice based on that as well. And we advise them to stay away from cooking smells. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, one of the best pieces pieces of advice that I've received was from a patient who told me that she just bought peppermint oil, put a little bit on her wrists, and whenever she smelled something that made her feel nausea, she would just sniff her wrists huh. and it would take care of it. How interesting. So a lot of um, advice that we get is often produced by patients and solutions that they've found. And now in the holiday season, there's all these like candy canes, uh, which are peppermint, right? So yeah. <laughs> keep your candy canes around, <laughs> folks. Um, you know, that's really, uh, that's really interesting. Um, what about appetite stimulants? Do you ever recommend medicines to stimulate appetite? So that's a that's a great question. Um, there obviously there's lots of medications. There are a few medications that can help improve appetite. Um, as our role as a dietitian isn't necessarily to recommend the physician to do that. However, we can bring um, awareness if there um, if patients are struggling with appetite. We can be an integral part of the team to say you know this patient's losing weight, doesn't have an appetite. We've tried supplements. We've tried you know various things, maybe an appetite stimulant might be warranted at this time. Mm -hmm. um, I have lots of patients that are asking me about medical marijuana and um, lots of care providers as well. And so that's just a, a conversation that I, I um, validate and then I bring up to the care team to see you know, what, what the next step is and if that's appropriate. When there's an intervention, do you get follow-up from the patient about, you know, let's say medical marijuana, for example, was prescribed and they went to their dispensary and... Um, have you have you heard any results from from say that or or from some of the other 
uh, medications we use. Sometimes we use uh, a female hormone, Megase. That's a suspension that I find to be often quite effective. Yeah, you know, in follow-up, um, ver I'm very interested to see if it's made any improvement. And just anecdotally, Certainly with med medical marijuana, I probably heard the, the most positive results as far as improving appetite. With Megase, um, in some patients, eventually it works, but I always tell them to be patient. It yeah, takes, it takes at least a week. Mm -hmm. It takes some time. And I know a lot of my um, older, especially female a little bit on the stubborn side, maybe patients will not give it that much time. They will, they'll take it for a few days and just say, forget this, it's not working. And if they're the older end of the baby boom generation, they want to get their munchies back from what they remember from a few years ago. Uh -huh. Not that I have any experience with that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you, know, you, were talking about the, you were talking about the various flavors and either hypersensitivity or hyper or decrease sensitivity to various flavors. And, you know, one of the flavors that we are just learning about, at least in the lay press, maybe you guys have known about it for a long time, is umami. And um, that's what, that's like the mushroomy or rich MSG flavor, I guess. Is, is, is that affected by chemo? Or is that a good thing, a bad thing? Or do, is it not really studied? So I think the reason um, Chinese food or Thai food is so popular is because of the umami flavors oh, really? that are in it. So the richness that. is good. Yeah, a lot of times people think that they have to use less flavor when somebody is going through chemotherapy treatment, but often you have to use more um, flavor, more herbs, more spices, uh, because treatment can dull the taste buds. Mm. So by using um, a little more spices or a little more more sauces, um, it can waken up the taste buds so people can taste better. That's great. Well, you're not really making me hungry because I had a big breakfast and I'm drinking cappuccino, but uh, <laughs> I, I would be hungry <laughs> if I hadn't. But right now we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about nutritional support for cancer patients. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, a science-led biopharmaceutical company dedicated to elevating conversations about biomarker testing to improve outcomes for advanced cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about head and neck cancers. Although the percentage of oral and head and neck cancer patients in the United States is only about 5% of all diagnosed cancers, there are challenging side effects associated with these types of cancer and their treatment. Clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers. In many cases, less radical surgeries are able to preserve nerves, arteries, and muscles in the neck, enabling patients to move, speak, breathe, and eat normally after surgery. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guests Amy Braganini and Heidi Larson, who are registered dietitians at Smilo Cancer Hospital. We've been talking about um, ways of uh, encouraging nutritious lifestyles and maintaining people's appetite and weight. Um, during cancer treatment. Um, guys, right before the break, we were talking about this umami flavor. Uh, and, um, and Heidi, I think you were, you were saying that, that that's 
maybe why some of the Asian foods are so helpful because of this umami thing. I recently read a, a piece in maybe it was the New York Times or maybe came on my Facebook feed or something uh, about uh, like these umami supplements that are made from, I guess, shiitake mushroom powder, and that apparently you can add it to any food and it makes all foods better. Do you guys have any experience with that? I personally haven't heard of it. Um, I guess I would be interested to, you know, read a little bit more about it. I'm always a little hesitant when it comes to, you know, new great ways that are in a powder or supplement form as far as um, safety, I guess, and yeah. purity. But um, anything that might be beneficial, I, you know, I'm, it's worth looking into. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of ordering some because it made, they really made it sound like it was the magic thing that makes every dish taste better because of the umami thing. Well, and it's interesting you say that. I, as Heidi was talking, I was thinking another another thing that can happen during treatment is uh, just a decrease, overall decrease in saliva. Yeah. You know, and the less saliva you have, the less kind of flavor impact you have. So mm. um, that's kind of part of it as well. You know, like Heidi had mentioned, adding sauces. And maybe, again, if this umami um, supplement, it turns out to be pretty golden, you know, that's something that we can implement as well in a, in a sauce form. Yeah, well, maybe we can do some uh, controlled trials together uh, tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds good if you're cooking. <laughs> and I, I like to cook. Actually, I haven't heard of uh, this uh, new umami pill, but there is a fruit called a magic fruit. That magic I, fruit. And I read an article about it in the New York Times a few years back. And you can purchase it as a fresh fruit or you can purchase it. You know, they extract it and have it in a pill. But I had a patient who only liked uh, sweet foods, mm -hmm. and this magic berry makes everything taste sweet. So if if you t eat the berry for an hour or two, it'll make a lemon taste sweet. So I had her. Did you, I, have you tried it? So I haven't personally tried it, but I asked her to told her about it. She and her family tried it and had a little party with it. I was going to say, is it a hallucinogen? Or <laughs> Where, you so get it only it? affects your taste. You can um, buy it like uh, you know specialty shops in the uh, New York City, or you can buy it like the online extract online. Huh, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's interesting. This is not a kai berries or one of those things. No. Yeah. Acai. Oh, is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up because I, I, I was asked about known. it. I know. I was asked about it, and I said the same thing. I, I wasn't even sure. There's so many words that are a little confusing. Acai. But yeah, acai, the magic, it's kind of like a magical. It's not. But it's not the magic. No, berry. it's um, but it's filled with um, antioxidants. It's considered pretty great, and you can only get it from Brazil. So, anyway. <laughs> so you know, again, it's, it's the holiday season, and... Um, you know, I think that depending on which culture you come from and, you know, what your family traditions are, everybody's got some special holiday food that means a lot. And, you know, my family were Jewish. Uh, it would be potato latkes around Hanukkah or potato latkes anytime around the year because they're so bad for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, it may, you know, we had a bunch of German au pairs where stolen the German Christmas cake. Uh, that was Christmas for them. And so... Have, do you have experience with our with our cancer patients who, you know, they would really maybe it's turkey or ham or uh, rabbit if you're a Italian or you know they they have a feast of a bunch of fish as an Italian thing around Christmas, um, as I recall. Uh, excuse me, my Italian listeners, if I got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's feast of fishes or twelve fishes or some some numbers of fishes. I love fish, uh, but you know when, when they're you know, or fish is really like it's what they love, but they're like the idea of eating fish right now is like, oh, what do we do? What do we do for those people? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes 
We want to help people enjoy the holidays as much as possible. And certainly, um, like we mentioned earlier, food is a very big part of that. The tricky part is if someone is in the crux of treatment and struggling with intermittent nausea or, you know, vomiting, eating favorite foods might not be a greatest idea, especially if you had a bad experience and unfortunately gotten sick off of your favorite food. Um, I can't even look at eggs to this day, long story. So I feel like, you. yes, <laughs> that's a, a learned food aversion. So I feel that when um, when it comes to favorite foods around the holidays, again, it's our job to kind of assess where the patient is. And, you know, if they're feeling relatively well, then then we can help them maybe insert those foods maybe in a different way. So for example, if going back to the head, neck, cancer patient example, if someone has difficulty swallowing and they just desperately wanted a piece of pumpkin pie, you can certainly make a pumpkin milkshake or make it a healthy pumpkin smoothie and still get the flavor of the pumpkin. Mm. Maybe not the chewing part of it, but at least the flavor would be there. Same thing with eggnog. Um, you know, I think, again, a lot of times patients just want to be around their families and, and they want to make it as normal as possible. And, of course, if they're having the smell aversion, that could be a real problem with all the delicious, what we think of as delicious family smells no longer has that effect. It makes them want to go into the other room. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it can. And certainly um, I've, I've had many patients that just say that they it pains them to, to be around their family and watch them eat. So it's, it is a, it's tricky. Um, and I feel for those people so much. And, and then maybe finding then recommendations for making other holiday traditions that maybe don't revolve around food. Certainly time with family doing other things, you know, um, might be a good memory for them, too. Yeah. You know, it's interesting what you said about the, the smell aversion. I'm recalling uh, in my previous uh, workplace at Johns Hopkins in Maryland, um, they, the food service changed their food delivery in a way that was much better for delivering food hot. You know, it has to go from the main kitchen to wherever, and it's a big campus, like many big medical centers. And it was so effective that when you took the lid off, the patients were hit by this blast of smell, and the cancer patients, just they, just, they would all throw up. It was awful. I mean, it was yeah. such a good idea because, you know, you always get this dissatisfaction. The food comes cold. So the food was coming, like, piping hot. But it wasn't right. They they would have to – so they, what they took to doing was actually un, uh, opening the food outside in the hallway, the, di the uh, delivery people would, and letting it air out mm -hmm. or something. I've had patients also get these little mini fans. Oh, when blows it away. Yeah, then that way when it comes open. I mean, again, it just So depends. you've seen this as well. Yeah, we had that same service back where I'm from um, in Michigan, and certainly um, it's nice for – people that don't have a smell aversion, but certainly, yeah, someone from, um, going through treatment, that might be troublesome. So what do you tell people who are starting treatment? I, you mentioned, uh, don't, like, don't eat your favorite food. I, I recall a patient a long time ago at Hopkins, you know, it's a big crab culture, right? So the patient was so excited that she had done so well with her first bounce of chemotherapy that went out and had crab cakes, her favorite food. Not a good idea. She'll never eat crab again. So what should patients do if they don't know how they're going to respond when um, they're starting treatment? You know, a lot of times we have to tell patients we have to wait and see how you do. We mm -hmm. recommend that you follow all um, uh, medicine schedules given to you by right. your doctor. Um, so, you know, you prevent the nausea because sometimes if you wait too long, yeah, then the nausea won't go away. And people don't want to take pills. It's so funny. Like you, I, I find that too. I said, well, you know, please take your nausea pill before because we don't know. And they said, well, I don't want to take extra pills. Or why didn't you take it? Well, I didn't want to take extra pills. I wasn't feeling nauseous. 
if we know somebody might have a sensitivity to nausea, we might give them um, concentrate in that area and give them tips such as staying away from cooking smells. There's actually research that shows that um, ginger can be helpful oh. in controlling uh, nausea in chemotherapy patients. So I love we'll ginger. Often, Good to know. Yeah. Fresh ginger, right? So yeah, you can. Um, the research they actually use um, powdered ginger pills. Really? But anecdotally, um, I do find that patients using it in the form of crystallized ginger or ginger tea find it just as effective. Hmm. So not taking the root and chopping it up. So um, I have a recipe I give to patients, um, and I have them um, make like a ginger syrup. Mm. We buy a section of uh, ginger at the grocery store chop it up, you simmer it, and then add some honey and lemon, and then you can keep it in your refrigerator for, you know, about 10 days and just ladle a little into some hot water for some tea or um, some soda water for a homemade ginger ale. Interesting. What tips do you have for those of us who fortunately aren't undergoing cancer treatment and who try to maintain a pretty good lifestyle? More or less. I've not been so successful about that lately. Uh, but I'm trying to re-up my plan, let's say, you know, really earnestly. And I, and I just know I'm a nosher. And the hospital's going to have all sorts of foods around, like starting today with Halloween yesterday. Oh, we were recording this a couple months ago. That's why. It's not really Christmas, but... We're just just so I just realized I introduced a whole another confusing thing. So we're recording this after Halloween. So there were candies, but I know that after Halloween, you know, the food's just going to start coming, and then after Thanksgiving, you know, there's going to be food everywhere. How do we like? What recommendations can we do about? And then all the parties, of course, and you don't want to be rude and not eat the cheesecake <laughs> what's a guy to do yeah. help me people i'm just trying to be polite here can i have the whole entire cheesecake please <laughs> thank you no i think your question's good um going into the holidays with a plan is the, the very most important thing i think because it's a balance between enjoying the holidays really um enjoying time with family and parties and being festive, but also, you know, improving your health, watching your waistline and not ending up January 1st, 20 pounds heavier. So going into it with a plan, um, and that might be, you know, day by day, it might be week by week. I know I encourage people to kind of look at look at their week ahead mm -hmm. and do the best they can to prepare themselves for what what's to come. If they know they're having, you know, three parties in the week, then certainly then preparing healthy breakfast and lunch is maybe in, you know, in advance to get them ready for it. And that way they can maybe indulge a little bit at the parties and not be rude, right, to the host. But but not skip lunch and breakfast because mm -hmm. I know I'm going to a party tonight and want to eat that cheesecake, <laughs> so I should just starve myself all day? Not a good idea? No, no, no. I don't think so at all. In fact, I feel that having a healthy, um, healthy lunch, maybe a smaller one than maybe normal, but making sure it's healthy fat, a little bit of protein so that will stay with you. One of the biggest things that actually I read um, and actually works is when you're at a party, try not to eat standing up. And I know, oh. I know it sounds kind of crazy because everyone has a little plate, but I feel that when you have um, a drink in one hand and a plate in another, you know, you'll set your, your drink down and you'll nibble a little bit and you don't really taste the food. You don't really get the effect. So if you are in a conversation, then just saying, you know, let's go sit down for a little while and finish this one plate of food. And then um, when, you know, when you're done, you're done, not going back for seconds. I think standing and eating is one of the biggest things over the holidays. If you can try to be diligent, it's something you can practice. Mm -hmm. You can 
can save yourself lots of calories that way too. Another thing I've been reading about lately has been sort of mindfulness in eating. And um, do you guys have any experience with that in terms of slowing yourself down and enjoying bites? As I, I tend to snarf my food. My wife thinks it's terrible, and she's probably right. I think uh, Amy's example is um, perfectly fits that bill of mindful eating. So as we go through the holidays, a lot of us are busier. We have more plans. We're preparing, um, buying gifts for people. So we are a lot busier and um, eating on the run. So again, I think it's just um, remembering not to eat on the run, sitting down, having a meal with family, um, and not doing other things. Get off of your phone, Hmm. Um, turn off the TV, and really be conscious of the meal that you're eating. Heidi Larson and Amy Braganini are registered dietitians at Smilo Cancer Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.